You're listening to Adam and Eve, Edmonton's feminist radio show on CJSR 88.5 FM and around the world at CJSR.com. I'm Marco. I'm Sky, And I'm Marie. And we'll be your hosts for this half hour of Feminist Radio. On today's show, we have stories on fitness and health. Coming up on the show, my chat with Monica Cody, a kettlebell instructor here in the city. But first, Lisa sat down with Amy McKinnon. Amy is the executive director of the Paralympic Sports Association here in Edmonton. She's also done some very excellent work with fitness programming for women. Let's take a listen as Lisa finds out more about how Amy creates exciting one-of-a-kind fitness experiences. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for coming into our show today. No problem. Would you mind introducing yourself a little bit for our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Amy McKinnon, and I'm involved in the Women on Wheels Bike Club, as well as Women's Healthy Active Living Evenings programs run out of Metro Continuing Education. Women on Wheels focuses on mountain biking here in Edmonton. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about what happens on one of these evenings? Sure. So so basically, um, Women on Wheels is, like you said, a women's mountain bike club, but we really focus on on trying to get the very beginner female mountain biker out. So that doesn't mean that we are not open to having, you know, more experienced mountain bikers. It just means that we want to have that place for someone who is really just starting out and maybe doesn't even know, you know, what bike to buy or what kind of helmet or, you know, all the all the gear kind of that you need for for biking. We want to be that safe place that they can say, I don't know the difference between a full suspension and a hardtail. Um, so so what will happen is is usually women will contact us beforehand because they're quite apprehensive about coming out. And so, you know, they ask a lot of questions and we'll kind of, you know, soothe their fears and and uh, make them feel welcome and, and realize that we're not, you know, everybody here isn't a professional mountain biker that's going to, you know, speed away on you the minute we, we start riding. And we explain that we kind of stop and we session things and we're not going a million miles a minute, I guess, is kind of the, the idea so that they, they feel more comfortable. So they show up and we kind of get everybody to introduce themselves, talk about their experience or lack of experience, just so we know the the um, sort of combined group experience. Then we can we can split people off into groups if we have enough of the different groups. Um, we always have somebody at the front and somebody at the back. And um, we go at the, you know, kind of at the group speed and stop and session different things before before we do it so that people aren't completely freaked out say going down something that's a little bit steep or going over you know a big route or something like that so yeah most people leave pretty uh pretty happy that they came and they come back so that's a good sign what are you most asked or what do women seem to be most hesitant about before they come out i think just sort of the group ability i think that they really still don't grasp that they don't actually have to have any mountain biking experience. The only thing they really do need to have is the proper equipment, right? So they need to have a bike. Um, Although with that being said, to be honest, we have had some women show up that don't have a mountain bike. Um, They're pretty big troopers. They end up coming on the rides anyway, sort of realizing that, hey, that was a ton of fun, but I might need a different bike. (laughs) But we never sort of turn people away. But um, yeah, I think it's just really fear. A lot of people think that they're not fit enough. Um, or like I said before, they, they need a lot more skill than they actually do. But really, the reason you come is to get that skill because we we know how to teach the skills. And so um, then you, you get better than you would if you were just 
trying to, you know, wing it and going out on your own. Great. So let's jump over to Whale Night. And one more time for the acronym Whale. It's, it's Women's Healthy Active Living Evenings. Yeah. We actually do have a co-ed Healthy Active Livings as well. Um, sorry, Healthy Active Living Evenings. And that's just because of the, a lot of the men were getting mad that they couldn't participate because it sounded so cool that they wanted to be part of it. So um, yeah, so that is actually, so I run that through Metro Continuing Education, um, which works out really well because they, they do the registration and then, you know, I do all of the programming. So um, how that works is women will show up, they don't know what they're doing, and they try a different activity every week for about six weeks. And so I just, I send them an email about a week in advance and they know where to go and what time to show up and what to bring and that's pretty much it. But it's usually something sort of non-traditional. So they're not going to show up and play basketball or soccer. Not that there's anything wrong with those sports, but just because there are a lot of opportunities for women to get involved in that already. And chances are they've probably tried it. Um, so some of the activities that we've done in the past would be like hula hooping. We've done capoeira, which is really cool. Um, we've done acro yoga, you know, things that people may not have ever even heard of. Um, we've actually tried uh, Quidditch, which is really cool. Wait, sorry. Um, so this is Harry Potter Quidditch? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, some people, you tell them what it is and they still don't even, they're like, I don't even know what that is, um, which is really cool because then they get to try something totally new they've never heard of and they're always super excited about it. And then they tell all their friends. And, and I've heard from people, too, that their um, their offices or wherever they work get quite involved. So when they get the email of what they're where they're supposed to be and what time there's, you know, people will often take their guesses at, you know, what are you going to be doing? And I think you're going to be doing this. And, you know, some people will have bets with coworkers in their office and stuff. So why was it important for you to start these groups where women could come and engage with fitness and wellness? Um, I used to do personal training and um, there's nothing wrong with personal training, but from my perspective, a lot of the clients that I had, uh, they didn't actually really love the act of, say, working out like you would usually with a personal trainer, you know, at a gym or, you know, doing kind of your typical sort of cardio and then weight type stuff. Um, but they, they did want to be active and they wanted to be healthier and a bit more fit and that kind of thing. And so... What I realized was really a lot of the women that I was working with just needed to find out what they were really enjoyed. They needed to find a passion, um, but they didn't, they just felt apprehensive about sort of doing that all on their own, right? And so what I ended up doing is sort of researching a bunch of different activities I thought that they might like and going with them, right? And so that ended up being quite a bit more helpful for a lot of them because they would find something, they either got involved in cycling or tennis or, you know, something that they really enjoyed that they didn't need me to kind of light a fire under their butt to get going. And ultimately, from my perspective, that's what I wanted is I want people to be more active, to find something that they really enjoy, share that with their children, share that with their family. And they're active because they like it, not because they think they have to do it. So that was kind of the instigation for a lot of this. That was the instigation for the uh, the whale program. Um, but as you may or may not know, women and men, but I would say probably more true of women, is if you tell them that you're going to do something, if I said, hey, we're going to do acro yoga, they're going to look that up on the internet and think, 
I can't do that. I don't have that kind of skill. That looks really hard, right? And so they're too, they might be too apprehensive about even coming in the first place. So if you don't tell them what they're doing, <laughs> then they show up, right? Because they know that everybody else doesn't know what they're doing either. And then they find out that it's it's not actually nearly as hard as they thought. It's actually really cool. And or they have a lot more talent and skill than they thought they did. What a really great way to think about that. It's like the ultimate in expectation management. And then the other thing that's kind of neat is that, I mean, like I tell all of the women at the beginning, you're not going to like everything that we do. But the good thing is you only have to do it once. Right. So you do it once. And you might be like, oh, I wasn't really into that activity. But then we move on to a different activity the next week. So and then they get all of the information about how do I get more involved in this activity? That's the idea. Right. So now they, they feel less apprehensive because they've tried it. They know what it's all about. They know whether they do or don't like it and whether they, you know, could or are not good at it at all. Right. Um, so every group that we bring in, like, let's say we do. I don't know, snowshoeing or cross-country skiing or something, we give them that information about how to get more involved in the particular activity so that they can then go out and do that on their own. So you partner with other organizations and instructors in the city then? Yeah, so basically I just I just coordinate, right? So I have no actual skill. <laughs> I can't I can't teach any of this stuff. So I bring in the people who know what they're doing, right? So um, for instance, if we're doing sledge hockey, um, coincidentally, I do know about sledge hockey, but um, if we're doing sledge hockey, then I'll have, you know, some of my staff um, where my day job is come in and teach them sledge hockey. If we're doing capoeira, then I get the capoeira academy to come in and they will teach them capoeira. I bring in the experts, the people who are actually qualified to talk about the sport, who have access to the equipment, um, and who are also, you know, trained instructors or what have you. I just really love the idea of it with the element of surprise and the constant new learning. When you're coordinating or when you're creating these nights, do you focus a lot on the idea of empowering or confidence? I don't know that I necessarily need to pull that out and say, I want to focus just on empowering, right? I think that the women who are coming just automatically sort of get that uh, by attending and then by participating. So they're, I mean, kudos to them. They're they're already pushing themselves out of their comfort zone by agreeing to be part of a program where you don't know what you're doing, right? So, um, and I have heard from some women, some friends of mine who have said, oh my gosh, I could never do that. I could never not know what I was doing. Um, so it, I'm sure it definitely does attract, you know, a, a certain population of women. But I think just they just inherently kind of gain a bit more confidence um, and feel a bit more empowered just by participating and realizing, wow, there's a lot of stuff I can do as long as I sort of get the right instruction. And there's a lot of really neat things out there that I didn't know existed. So I think that just sort of happens you know, um, naturally with the program. So we focused mainly today on Women on Wheels and on Whale Night, but you also run a number of other programs, you were saying, that aren't necessarily just focused on women. Yeah, so the, uh, well, I mentioned the co-ed Healthy Active Living Evenings, which is also through Metro. Um, and then I'm actually the executive director for the Paralympic Sports Association. And so we run 
a whole slew of uh, programs for, you know, anybody with any kind of impairment, their friends and families, really anybody's welcome. Um, so we have everything from um, sledge hockey programming to adapted climbing to paranordic skiing and um, paddling and taekwondo and swimming. And so we run a ton of, yeah, a ton of adapted programs um, throughout the city and um, some stuff actually uh, in the mountains as well. So yeah, pretty neat. Well, thanks so much again for coming in and sharing about the very cool things you're doing out there in the world. No problem. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to Adam and Eve on CJSR. We were just listening to Lisa's conversation with Amy McKinnon about her unique fitness programming for women. To find out more about Women on Wheels, Whale Night, and Amy's other programming, please check out our Facebook pages for links. Next up, we go over to Marie for a chat about alternative health. Marie, what can you tell us about our next guest? Well, I met up with her at the Juniper Cafe a couple of weeks ago where she had some pretty awesome things to tell me about her life as a health practitioner and how it all started. Monica was one of the first women to compete internationally in Canada's women's bobsled team. And now she works part-time in stem cell collection at Canadian Blood Services. We spoke about why she gave up her full-time position as head of the plasma department and how she believes that this career shift allowed her to make a bunch of important changes in her life. Now she does Bowen and craniosacral therapy. You heard of that? She's also a certified kettlebell instructor in the city and a single mom of two teenagers to boot. Sounds like a pretty hectic schedule, doesn't it? Um, Well, let's find out why it turns out that Monica is actually a way happier person today. degree in physical education and sports studies, which I got from the University of Alberta, and I graduated from that in 1990. From there, I worked, um, I majored in administration, and I worked for um, recreation centers in Calgary, and I was doing programming for kids programs, rec programs, and then after that I started working for Canada Olympic Park, and I put together, um, it was kids camps for luge. Then I began to be part of uh, women's bobsled. So I was on Canada's first bobsled team. It was the first woman to start to compete internationally in, in bobsled. So that was really exciting. Wow, that is amazing. Fantastic. So I did that for a few years and I had also always wanted to become a nurse. So the jobs that I was getting in, um, with my phys ed degree were mostly temporary. So I was finding it hard to find full-time work. So then I applied into nursing at Foothills Hospital School of Nursing in Calgary and got in. At that time, you could not find a job in nursing in Canada. So I ended up having to travel to the States. So I moved to Texas in Corpus Christi. Then I moved from there to Vegas and worked in Vegas for a year as a cardiac step-down ICU nurse. Then to Seattle, and then I came back to Canada after that because I missed it desperately. Were you doing that alone? Were you single? I was single, yes. I had a a dog that I found on the streets of uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, and he was my best friend and we hung out all the time and we did a lot of um, activities together, a lot of hiking, 
because since my phys ed degree, I've always been quite an active person. And uh, anyway, he, he and I did a lot of exploring of the places that we lived. So finally, I came back to Canada and then worked for the Royal Alec Hospital and took an uh, intensive care course and worked in adult ICU at, uh, at the Royal Alec Hospital. And that was huge um, learning curve for me because of the intensity of the different types of patients that are there. So now uh, I work for Canadian Blood Services and have been there for 19 years. And I work with cancer patients collecting stem cells for stem cell transplants. So what, talk us through one of your days, like what kind of work do you do? Yeah. So what we mostly do is 90% um, of what we collect is uh, a type of cancer called multiple myeloma. And so that is um, a cancer of the blood. And there is no cure. The only thing that will help people is a stem cell transplant with multiple myeloma. Um, so it's a quite an amazing nursing job. It's the best one that I've ever had. I get to spend the entire day with patients and their families. It must be pretty emotional. It can be, yes. They, they tell you a lot in that day. So it's, it's like one-on-one -on -one nursing and in other nursing jobs that I've had, you don't get that opportunity to connect with your patients like I can now. Um, in previous jobs, you're in and out of the room doing your tasks and you, you can barely have a conversation. We get to spend great amounts of time learning about how they were diagnosed and, and about their lives and about how to deal with these things. So tell us how you went from working with Western medicine towards alternative approaches. Right, okay, so for seven years I was in charge of the plasma department of Canadian Blood Services and I was full-time. And I was actually going through a divorce, so it was very high stress. I was working full-time, had two little kids, and I felt like this job is going to kill me. So I started thinking about other ways to support myself and my children and I knew at that time that I didn't want to be a full-time nurse anymore. I wanted to do something alternative. For me, I had been in a few car accidents over my life, um, over my lifetime where I'd been rear-ended or T-boned. So I had a lot of hip pain and so I had tried myself to get relief from traditional things like uh, seeing the doctor, being prescribed, you know, different muscle relaxants and things like that. Um, doctors at times wanted to prescribe antidepressants to me and I did not want to take any antidepressants. So I tried uh, massage, chiropractic, physiotherapy, acupuncture, and I would get temporary relief from these things. So it was actually a donor who had told me that she had really bad carpal tunnel syndrome and she was scheduled to have surgery done. And I would see these donors weekly. These plasma donors could come in every week. So I would catch up with them on a weekly basis. And she said to me after I had seen her again, she said I had two Bowen treatments and the pain was completely gone. And I thought she said bone therapy. And I said, pardon me? And she said Bowen. And it was just sort of an aha moment. I thought I needed to give this a try just because mm. of the look on her face and, and the things that she described. I thought this may work for me too. So I went home, looked up a Bowen therapist, found somebody close to my neighborhood and went and had a treatment. And I could feel sort of an energy moving through my leg and my hip when she did these Bowen moves. And 
in that moment I decided that I needed to learn how to give this to people. And it turned out that she had a course starting the next month. So it all fell into place and I started taking course after course for Bowen therapy, then started practicing. And at that time you were also working? I was also working. Taking care of your kids. Taking care of my kids, yeah. Taking care of yourself. Trying to take care of myself, yeah. So and still kind of going through emotional upheaval from... From having a divorce. Divorce. Yeah. So then an opportunity presented itself um, that would have been in about 2008 for me to uh, move into stem cell collection. And so I applied. People thought I was crazy leaving my full-time job with my pension that I had built up. Um, but I needed to take that leap of faith. So you're bringing that whole experience of living um, through some pretty rough patches and really also having a lot of drive and vision towards what you, where you're going and taking you to a very specific place that is um, giving you a lot of joy, I think, in your life. I can see that in your face. Um, so tell us a little bit about the work then that you do with craniosacral therapy and Bowen therapy. I mean, what, what does it involve? Like, I'm sure there are people out there who have no idea what we're talking about. Okay, well, just so people know also, uh, Bowen therapy was created from a man named Tom Bowen, and he is no longer living, um, but he was from Australia. And he was an osteopath, and he worked with a lot of sport teams. And he found when he would strum the fascia, um, it's almost like rolfing, but a much gentler, more gentle form that people would get relief from injuries. Um, also for craniosacral therapy it was created from a doctor who was also an osteopath and a surgeon, Dr. Upledger, and that's who I've taken my training through through the Upledger Institute. You put people into a really profound uh, parasympathetic state. It works on your central nervous system, both therapies do. I find that people start to tune into their own bodies more than maybe they have before. And I usually tell them to drink a lot of extra fluids and maybe have a, a Epsom salt or sea salt bath later that day and not to work out heavy because it's like an input into their tissues and uh, it sends signals to their brain to tell their tissues to relax because they've been holding um, whether it be pain or stress in their tissues. So it could be both physical or, or emotional. Yes, yeah, like I've taken somato-emotional release courses to uh, the Upledger Institute as well, and um, that really has proven to me how much you store in your tissues, trauma or injuries and emotion hmm. in your tissues. So you can release a lot of that through many therapies. I find that these two work really well together to help people let go of some of the things that they've been carrying around for a long, long time. Let's talk a little bit about how medicine is changing and how that whole con kind of concept towards holistic health has come about. I see a need for more uh, collaboration between Western physicians and or nurses and say naturopaths and alternative therapists. I think we need to take more of an open-minded approach to it and see that it's really beneficial. Um, I saw it with my mother actually just 
she passed away in April. And I could see exactly what you're talking about, how um, it seemed like her body parts were just being looked at, like a mechanic would look at parts of the vehicle and not seeing her as a whole person. And I would see even nurses that would come into the room and not even know her diagnosis or AIDS or LPNs. And it was alarming to me just how they were so task oriented and not thinking, you know what, this is actually a woman who has lived a long life and is very ill at this moment. And it made me sad because um, it doesn't have to be like this. I don't like. I think that if we had more of like a cooperative approach to helping people maybe look at their diet or look at their stress levels in their lives um, with our cell phones, with the cell phone towers, you can't get away from it. People are highly, highly stressed and we need to help them de-stress to just unwind, put those phones down, out of reach. Something else that you do is um, kettlebells. Tell us, tell us what that is. It goes back to the 1700s, kettlebells do, um, in Russia actually, and they look like bowling balls with handles on them. You've probably seen them in gyms maybe. A lot of times boot camps they're used, and uh, I went to try it out at a hall, and this woman was offering classes, and the first class was free. So as soon as I felt it, doing a kettlebell swing, I had never engaged my core like that with any other exercise that I had tried and I had tried several things in my career in phys ed and or uh, different sports that I did. So um, there too I decided I need, how to, I need to get certified to lead these classes I decided because it is so effective. So it's cardio and muscle, muscular at the same time and you burn about 20 calories a minute when you are swinging these kettlebells. So. Um, I love it because it's low impact and it doesn't take a lot of time to get results. Kettlebells are like a gym in one kettlebell. It's like having a whole gym. Like if you have one to three, in my opinion, one to three kettlebells, you don't need anything else. So um, let's try and round this off. I'm talking a little bit maybe about relationships, work, that kind of balance and it sounds to me like you've come to the, a, a very different place than you were when you were working that full-time job. Yeah. You're in a place that is much more relaxed, um, but you're still very full of energy. You're doing so much. So tell us a little bit about that shift that's taken place and how it has a bit of a ripple effect on everything in your life. I think I'm a better mother today now that I've made these decisions and um, taking big leaps um, of a thinking outside the box instead of just staying in this one job forever until I retire. I think I'm a more relaxed mother. Definitely not perfect, but I, I, um, I think it's had a good influence on my kids that are now 13 and 16, and they're imitating what I'm doing. They're, they're eating differently, and they're exercising. They're seeing the importance of that. Relationships, well, I've, I've gotten rid of toxic people in my life, and uh, that's been a huge benefit. And seeing that a lot of it uh, was choices I was making, and taking responsibility for those choices has made a huge difference. And my daughter, too, who's 16, she's um, doing the same thing. She's realizing that if people around you um, sort of feel like 
they're sucking out your soul, they really are. So she, she's getting <laughs> out of those relationships, which is, which is really good. So, yeah, I really like this balance of, of both worlds of, of Western medicine and, and alternative type therapies because I think people are looking for different ways to be healthier. And uh, I know by living it, I can say for sure that it has worked. And, um, and I'm hoping that more and more people try it. You know, I've seen my mother take medicine for years and years and years and would diligently take those pills that were prescribed to her. And I, I do believe medication has its place, but I also think that it's over-prescribed and it ended up causing her to pass away at a young age of 73. And uh, I think that's uh, not the answer to just keep prescribing and, and, and not helping people look at alternative ways to live. Thanks to Monica Cody for taking time to chat with us about her life. If you're interested in finding out more about any of the work she does, check out her website at forthewellofit.net. And that's it for today's show. We bid you a good adamant evening, and we invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Adam and Eve. You can also check CJSR's SoundCloud or search for Adam and Eve on iTunes to find some of our past episodes. That's all for tonight. So long for now. <laughs>